So, uh, in Revelation, uh, when we think of dragons, uh, how many of you saw the, uh, what's the show with the, that, that black dragon, that how team? To dragon. How to Train Your Dragon, right. So, Game of Thrones. What, what's that? <laughs> Somebody said Game of Thrones. I don't know what that is, but... Uh, I've not seen that show, but apparently there's... Is there dragons in that show? Game of Thrones? No. <laughs> Nobody's admitting it because nobody watches it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so how to tame your dragon? Uh, it's this black dragon, and it ends with a, a wing that's cut or something like that, right? In a minute. Isn't that how it goes? I'm not getting it right, am I? Okay, he gets brought down, and then this kid kind of tames the dragon, and then he flies it, right? And he gets his wing, and he puts it on and stuff, right? So that dragon's a nice dragon. There's another dragon. Uh, that, uh, if you have your Bibles with you. Turn with me to, where else? Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to read together verses 13 through to 20. Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 through to 20. If you'd stand with me as we read together. <coughs> Revelation chapter 1, beginning to read in verse 13. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burning bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. He laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of Hades. Write therefore the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. And as for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. Lord, this morning uh, we come before you, uh, first of all, and we ask that you be with uh, the McGilvery clan. Uh, they have lost a very precious one uh, from this earth. We know she's celebrating with you, and Katrina, uh, Katrina gets to... Um, be with you and celebrating and dancing with you, uh, but those of us who are left here, who are close to her, Lord, we are we are left mourning, and we are left mourning because it is right, because death is the enemy, and death will be the enemy until you finally put it under your feet when you come back. But Lord, here's one of the things that you do. You can comfort in ways that are beyond words, and so we pray that you would comfort all those, especially the family and friends, those close to Katrina. Would you Would you comfort them, Lord? And would you uh, walk them through this, uh, this period of loss? And uh, we pray, Lord, that as they walk through it and as they think about all the fantastic memories 
they will also think about <clears throat> what she is doing right now in glory with you. The first glimpse of you, Jesus, for the first time in her life. Wow, what a day. That will be for all of us, and she gets to experience that now. We're also grateful, Lord, in, in these uh, times for all the men and the women who have sacrificed their lives over the years to snuff out tyranny in this world. And Lord, it's done through war as, as the tyranny has, um, re, has revamped up in certain places like Afghanistan and other places. And Lord, we pray for the men and women who are out there and trying to snuff this evil out, and we pray you be with them. We also pray, Lord, that you be with all those who have suffered loss in war over the many years. And Lord, we are grateful um, that there still stands a force in this world against that. We're grateful that our world has not gone so sideways that we can't still understand good and evil in this world. And so, Lord, in these, in these days of remembrance, Lord, help us to be grateful. Be grateful that evil has not overtaken this world. We also pray, Lord, now as we approach your word, that you would use your word in such a way to penetrate deep within us. You speak about your word in the scriptures as being a, a sharp two-edged sword that can penetrate through to the, to the division of of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. It's a way in which a word can penetrate through the depth of who we are. Why? Because it's your truth. And your truth is timeless. And your truth penetrates. And so, Lord, we submit to it this morning. Because this is not just some words on a page. This is your direct communication to us. So, Lord, we submit to it this morning. And we'd ask that you transform the way we think and the way we behave. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So for those of you who don't know, I'm, uh, I'm a grandpa, and uh, I'm a grandpa first time over, and little Noah <clears throat> has made me a grandpa, and uh, I celebrate her uh, every time I see her. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's actually quite uh, incredible, and I've got another one that's coming in nine days, Alex? Yeah. Nine days. So another little boy's coming too. So being a grandpa is the greatest thing in the absolute world. I absolutely love it. <clears throat> so we've got this uh, grand prayer chat where, uh, where Cassidy, she, she usually gives us a little post and she tells us what's coming. And uh, so she tells us what's coming and then, uh, and then a video comes. So she'll say something like the cutest thing ever, just like, okay, I can't wait to see this. And then I'll watch it again and again and again. And it's absolutely fantastic. So if you're not a grandpa or a grandma yet and you're getting close, my goodness, it's the best thing in the world. Um, but Cassidy, as she's trying to describe, there's little, there's little Noah back there, if you wondering where she is, that's my little granddaughter. Um, yeah. Wow. You know, every time I see the video and every time I see her, I feel like I suck the life out of her. She's got so much life to give, and after I'm, I'm with her, I just feel like I've got more life. It's, uh, anyways, I'm just, I gotta stop this. Um, so, but Cassidy, when, when she's trying to help us understand what's going on um, with little Noah, she'll give a little caption, and then she'll show us a video. So Cassidy can tell us a description of what's coming, and then we actually get to see little Noah on these, on the, on these videos, and we've got lots of them, and I love every one of them. My phone goes off, and I, I've got to see it right away. So she describes it, and then she can show us a video. This is the difference with John in Revelation. He can't show a video. So John, as he's seeing it, he's doing his best that he can to describe it to all, all the people who would be reading the scriptures. First of all, to the seven churches and now to us. And he's doing his best job. And, and John's really struggling to try to put it into words 
And so he uses these terms like. Um, you notice here in verse um, 13, and in the middle of the land stands one like the Son of Man. Uh, 14, his hair uh, were like wool, white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like burning bronze, uh, his voice like the sound of many waters, etc., etc. John's struggling, and he's doing his best to try to help us understand what he's seeing, and so he can only tell us what it is like. It's not a direct thing that's going on, but what it is like. But even though John is struggling to put this all into words as he's looking at this figure, this heavenly figure in front of him, he's uh, also very familiar with the Old Testament. He's very familiar with Daniel, and uh, as he's uh, trying to help us understand, he's seeing it through the lens of scriptures that he's already read in Daniel. And in Daniel, there is a vision, two visions given to Daniel, and something very similar to what John is seeing here. In fact, it's so similar that John actually uses the same terminology. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures were quite accessible to the early church. Uh, maybe not as accessible as we have. We, you know, a lot of us have two, three, four Bibles. Uh, but it was quite accessible. You remember in Acts chapter 17, the Bereans, uh, they could examine the scriptures daily. So there was an access to the word of God, the Thessalonians as well. Do you remember the early disciples? They, you know, um, Peter would say to James, hey, we found the one. We found the Messiah whom the scriptures, the Old Testament is written about. So the scriptures were quite accessible to the people. And so for John, as he's trying to describe what's going on here, he's actually looking at it through the lens of what he's read in Daniel. And I'd like you to turn there with me to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 5. So in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 5, have a listen to this. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen. And we find in Revelation, he's dressed in a long robe. His waist girded with a belt of pure gold in Daniel 10, and we find that in uh, Revelation chapter 1, girded across his breast was a golden girdle. Again, his body was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. Very similar in verse 16, his face was like the sun shining in its strength. His eyes like flaming torches in Daniel 10.6. And in Revelation, uh, his eyes were like a flame of fire. It says his feet, in Daniel 10, his feet were like polished bronze. And we read over in Revelation chapter 1, and his feet were like burning bronze. This is no mistake. She's celebrating with the Lord. She's with him for all eternity. Well, not to forget that. I know it's, it, it, it seems to pale in terms of the comfort that we'd like to receive. And it is normal for us to, to mourn, and it's normal for us to, to cry when somebody we love is lost. But if they're a follower of Jesus, we're also comforted by this fact that they are in glory, worshiping and being with Jesus for all eternity. And so here we find John. And he sees this Jesus in front of him. And he's, this, he's overwhelmed in this lifeless state now. But then Jesus speaks. And Jesus speaks. And John has been describing what he sees. But now Jesus speaks and he identifies himself. 
Look at these words together. When I saw him, I fell, this is verse 17, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. This is the way that Jesus is choosing to describe himself. Remember, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, Revelation 1.1. And in verse 8 of chapter 1, it describes God as being the Alpha and the Omega. And here we find it again, the first and the last. When he's describing himself as the first and the last, he's taking on the characteristic of God. The definition of God is now attached to Jesus Christ. Places like, if you're taking notes, Isaiah 41 and verse 4. Or Isaiah 48 and verse 12. I am the first and I am the last. It's the Lord God speaking. And Jesus, as having the characteristic of being the first and the last, is describing himself as being God. We already saw a picture of that as, as um, John is describing him using Daniel. We already saw that. Now Jesus himself, as he's using characteristics to describe himself, he's using the same characteristics as God. And being God, he's describing what, what happened. And he described him as actually coming to the earth, and he was... The one who actually was dead. He's the living one now, but he was dead and he was risen and he lives now forevermore. It's God describes, Jesus describing himself in brief form of what it was like for him to be on this earth. But mainly with this one characteristic, I was dead, but I am now resurrected. Of course, it's referring back to his life on the earth and his Christians. We know exactly what it was like, like for Jesus to come here. But I've often wondered what, what secular people might think. If you were to ask secular people, what might God be like if you were to come to this earth? I've often thought this is a good question. I've not asked secular people this, but I wonder what they would say. So let's just say God did exist. And if he came to this earth, what do you think he would be like? In Acts chapter 14, there were some people there who thought gods had actually, the God, gods had actually come to the earth. You remember the story, it's Paul and Barnabas, and they're in Lystra. And they heal this man, and as they heal this man, the people said, oh, it's the gods. The gods have come down, and they describe uh, Paul as being Hermes, and Barnabas as being Zeus. The gods have come here. This is the conclusion, gods have come here because there's a healing. This is a crazy, miraculous healing. And if the gods were to come to this earth, this is what they would choose to do. In Jeremiah chapter 44, it describes uh, people there describing what God should and ought to be like in the lives of people. And in the description there, it's talking about the Israelites who have gone sideways. They say, look, ever since we worshipped the Queen of Heaven, ever since we worshipped the Queen of Heaven and gave sacrifices to her, our life has been great on this planet. We've had lots of food, there's been no war. But when we worship the God that you're talking about, Jeremiah, sword comes into our life and we don't want it. What's the conclusion? God's in our lives, in humanity's lives, to make our lives better on this planet. And how is he going to do that? Through means of comfort. Making our circumstances better on this planet. But what about this whole problem of dying? Well, this whole problem of death. I mean, shouldn't God take care of that problem? If God's going to come to this earth, if any problem that we can't overtake, it's death. We can't get rid of it. We can't do anything about it. All of us die. But apparently there's a solution for this. 
Yes, indeed, I read uh, Friday morning a brand new article that says humans can live forever. Humans can live forever. Apparently there's this Arizona company called Alcor that offers immortality freezing. <laughs> corpses, I quote, corpses and brains are frozen in liquid nitrogen after legal death with the hope of being resurrected and restoring them to full health in the event some technology allows humans to be brought back to life in the future. That's a quote. And for only $660 a year, you too can be frozen <laughs> with this dead hope that you might be alive later. Did you like that? The dead hope of being alive later. It's a problem that humanity can't solve. It's a major problem. We all die and nobody can fix it. Now, it would seem logical to me, with this being such a major problem, that if God were to come to the earth, he would take care of this. He should be able to take care of that. And of course, as Christians, that's exactly what Jesus did. He came and took care of it. I was dead, but I'm living now, and I live forevermore. When Jesus came to this, came to this earth, earth, first and foremost, he wanted to show us what God was like. And by walking and living among us, he revealed that God is one who operates in perfect love. That's the primary characteristic of God all throughout the scriptures. And so when Jesus comes to the, this earth, when God comes to this earth, first and foremost, he displays what it's like, what God is like. And he operates and functions in perfect love. And then, of course, he taught all of us. He taught humanity. The purpose of life, then, is to love God and to love others. Here's the problem. None of us can love like Jesus. And all, human, all humanity has this record of being unloving to others in God. And therefore, we deserve punishment for being unloving. And that punishment, of course, is death. And so God, when he came here, he not only showed us what it was like to love, he took care of the problem for those of us who don't love. And that's all of us. And he did this by paying the price for our sin and dying for all the unloving actions we've ever done. Now, of course, Jesus' death was a replacement death for our sin. Not a death for his own sin. It was a replacement death. And therefore, a replacement death penalty. And for us, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, we obtain the resurrection from the dead through the replacement death of Jesus Christ. But because for Jesus it was a replacement death, the grave could not hold him there. Once Jesus was for sure and, and he really was dead and the replacement penalty of death has actually been taken care of, the grave couldn't hold him anymore because the wages of sin is death and Jesus never sinned and therefore this death had to be a replacement death. But Romans 1.5 says this, he was raised according to the spirit of holiness. Jesus was perfectly holy, he was perfectly pure, and therefore the grave could not hold him, and he was raised according to that spirit of holiness. And as a result, Jesus is able to control the forces of death. And he talks about that here. Jesus says, I hold the keys to death and to Hades. Hades here is more likely referring to the place of the dead than it is to hell. Now, as he's first writing this to these Revelation churches in, these, uh, in Western Turkey here, this would have been great news because all of them are in the midst of persecution. 
They're all in the midst of, to a later, uh, to a greater or to a lesser extent, they're all in the midst of persecution. Some have already lost their lives and others are about to be put into that place where, they, where they're tested and they have to decide whether or not they're going to stick with Jesus right to the end. So Jesus says, by the way, I'm the one who was dead and I'm alive and I live forevermore and I, I hold the keys to death 